0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, I want to start by asking a question that is rhetorical in nature, because I know the answer to it, but we're going to start there anyway. Has anyone in this room ever been afraid? Okay, good. So we have some honest people here this morning. We've all been afraid at some point in our life, whether we want to admit it or not. For some of us, this element of being afraid looks different than maybe it looks to the person next to us. Some of us, when we're afraid, we run away. There's that flight element of it where we have to get out of there. Some of us, we fight. We go after the challenge and we meet it head on. Others of us freeze. We don't know what to do next. Maybe we want to think it through a little bit. We don't move. And still others of us just get really sweaty. But regardless of how we deal with the, free, the fear that comes with situations of life, I think all of us have also been in situations where we have recognized that the thing that we were afraid, the thing that we had most been fearful of, that when we got up to it and saw it up close, we realized that it wasn't quite as scary as maybe we would have thought. That when we got up to it, that we realized that our fear was actually... Irrational, that it wasn't based out of anything, and that fear had presented itself to be bigger than it actually was. For each one of us in our lives, I do believe that there are times where we have walked in fear unknowingly, that we've dealt with situations that have caused fear inside of us, and we've maybe figured out ways to deal with the fear, we've figured out ways to negotiate our, our way through the fear. But we haven't actually dealt with the issue of fear itself inside of us. And because of this, the byproduct has been that we have had stunted growth or areas in our lives that we have expected a greater outcome or, or to see a result, and we haven't actually seen it because we've just figured out how to navigate through the fear. I want to talk about fear a little bit more here today, especially in light of what we spoke about last week. Last week we looked at the challenges of life, the situations that we face, the obstacles that we encounter, and we said that we have to get to these situations and not just recognize them as a challenge, but we have to understand that when we step into the grace of God, that we're not just meant to survive the challenge, we're meant to overcome, and we're meant to see God's outcome that comes out of the affliction second corinthians four seventeen says for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us or producing for us an eternal weight of glory he goes on to say in verse 18 we do not look to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen the things that are seen are transient they're temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal When we enter into a situation Whether we call it a trial, a tribulation, persecution, an obstacle Whatever it may look like And these things are very real The thing that we have to see is that there are two elements to each one of these situations There is the element that is seen And there's the element that is unseen There is the part that we see and we interact with And then there's the part that goes deeper Got a piece of hair in my mouth Give everyone a hug, and sometimes it's the byproduct. (laughs) So regardless, though, of, of the situation, what we are responsible for when we look at this verse and we see the truth that Paul speaks to us is that it's not so much about the situation that we face, it's about our ability to see what God is doing in the midst of it and to receive the grace that he has for each one of us. And just to recap a little bit from last week We said that there is the true grace of God And then there's also the manufactured grace of God There's the true grace of God that we can step into In the midst of the situation that we're going through That comes from the source that has no end No limitation That that there is nothing in God that has any limitation So when grace comes from Him It's unlimited But then there's also the manufactured grace, which is where we recognize that Jesus is with us, that he's made a way for us, but yet we still rely on our own understanding, our own ability, and the source of that grace is not God's power, but it's our own willpower, which means that it's limited. It doesn't actually get us to where we need to go. It just gets us as far as we can propel ourselves to get to in that situation. We have to learn what it is to walk in the true grace of God that brings us not just through a situation where we survive by the skin of our teeth, but that we recognize that on the other side of it, there is an eternal weight of glory. The thing is, though, is that when we look at grace, very often we miss the biggest obstacle that stands in our way to entering into that grace, and that's really what I want to look at here today, because between us and entering into that full grace is often this four-letter word that we just mentioned before, which is fear fear, the thing that causes us to look at the situation, the thing that causes us to magnify the situation and to make it become bigger than it actually is. And so what I want to call that in the name of today's message is the facade of fear. The facade of fear. The word facade means superficial appearance or the illusion of something. In other words, a facade is something that appears to be something on the outside, but it's actually hiding something behind it or underneath it that's far less impressive. A a facade is meant to look a certain way, but what lies beneath is is not really what it appears to be. I don't think that I've seen the movie The Wizard of Oz all the way through. Maybe I have. But I do know that there is a scene in it where there is the great and the powerful Oz that presents itself to be one thing, this, this great and powerful being, But then when they go behind the curtain, what do they see? All of it was just a show. It was a facade. It was made to appear bigger than it actually was. And very often in our lives, that's what fear does. It takes a situation and an obstacle that may be very real, but it magnifies it. It it blows it up so that it becomes something bigger than it actually is. So when we look at this passage again, 2 Corinthians 4... I want to shift our attention to verse 18 here today. 17 is the affliction and the results of it being the eternal weight of glory. But 18, he says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen or not seen are eternal. So let's break down the seen versus the unseen here today. The seen is temporary. The unseen is eternal. In the context of this verse, what is it that's seen? It's the affliction. The affliction is what is seen. Whatever that looks like for you today... The affliction is the thing that you can see and recognize. It's the place where there is lack, where there is deficit, where there is hurt, where there is pain, where there is something in front of you that is preventing you from moving forward in what God has for you. That's the affliction. So that is what is seen. What is unseen? The eternal weight of glory. So we have seen, temporary, unseen, eternal. Seen is the affliction. Unseen is the glory. There is a difference here between these two words. And when we look at this in a greater degree of maybe honesty here today, what I think we could admit is that sometimes one of these appears to be much more real than the other. That one of these two realities tends to stand out more as reality than the other. That the thing that we can see, the thing that we can interact with, the thing that we're experiencing, not just what we're looking at, but what we're feeling in it, is the thing that often has the loudest voice and appears to be the real deal. Because to our natural minds, that is reality. Now, the eternal weight of glory is beautiful. It sounds amazing. It's what we want. But sometimes... In our natural way of thinking, the eternal weight of glory is theoretical in comparison to the challenge that we're facing. You see, we have to see that there is a difference between the seen and the unseen and the fact that fear will always highlight the problem and the deficit while it minimizes the solution and the opportunity that is meant to be found in the midst of it. Fear and the facade of fear is the tendency that we have to magnify the problem, but even more so the emotions that go along with the problem. What we see is real, but what we feel in the moment really has power. What we feel in the moment often is helplessness, inadequacy, and insufficiency. Once again, if fear highlights the problem, what it's not doing is highlighting The solution, which is the God that loves you more than you can ever imagine. Therefore, the feelings that are produced are what I don't have, what I can't do, and all of the negative outcomes that we perceive are part of it. When I read the words of President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1933 at his presidential inauguration, I feel like there is a lot of truth that rings through in his words. We know what he says. So, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. When President Roosevelt spoke these words, it was in the heart of the Great Depression. Not the Little Depression, not the average depression, The great depression The time where the affliction, the obstacle, the situation was very clear It was very real, it was very tangible The fear that would have been felt at that time would have been very evident to all But in coming in as the new leader he said We're not to fear the situation But we are to fear the fear itself Which holds us captive which brings us to a place of retreat instead of the place of advancement where we know that there is a greater outcome that can come out of the situation that we're in right now, that there is a hope, that there is an ability that we have to come together and to see more than what meets the the eye, more than just the, the seen reality, but to see an unseen reality. This morning, I'm praying that these words are prophetic as we look at the state of our nation right now as we see very clearly what is going on in the world around us, that we would choose as the church, as Christians and as believers, to look into what is unseen and to see the truth of what God is saying instead of being imprisoned by the fear of what we don't have, the direction that we're going, and the obstacles that stand in front of us. But looking at the solution is not always the thing that we tend to do. It's not the thing that we tend to go after, but it is kingdom thinking to realize that there is a greater reality. What we're called to do is take our eyes off of the facade of the impossible and to put them on the very real powerful God that we serve through whom all things are possible. But as I said, this is not our natural way of thinking about things. At least it's not very common. But just because it's not common doesn't mean it's not kingdom. We are not called to operate in what is common. We are called to operate in what is kingdom. It makes me think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You see, the kingdom does not always and very rarely make sense to our natural minds. But there are times where we come under this false conception that we have to understand it in order for it to be true. I was having a conversation with friends last night, and we were talking about some discussions that sometimes we have with people, and we were just talking about the fact that if God is omnipotent, Omniscient, if he's all-powerful, if he's the beginning and the end, if he's the one that spoke the universe into motion, why do we think that in our small, finite minds, in our short lifespan here on earth, that we are going to have the ability to comprehend all that God is and what he has said? Sometimes we think that we have to figure it out first, which is one of the most short-sighted things that I could ever imagine to try to figure out God. It's not that He doesn't give us wisdom and discernment and reveal things to us and continually reveal things to us in relationship. But if we think we have to fully understand God first in order to receive His reality, then we are completely missing the understanding of what it is to serve a God who is eternal without limitation. We have to understand that God is the the one who has created everything created us created the universe and i think that very often we don't have a problem with this at the moment of salvation we accept what jesus has done for us we accept the price that he's paid we accept his incredible power at work in our lives but for some reason we tend to leave our faith there when we face challenges that we think are bigger that seem to be more real in those moments What is bigger than overcoming a lifetime of sin and shame and paying a debt that you could never pay? And yet sometimes we leave our faith there at the very beginning and we don't carry it through to see that God has the ability to bring us through every situation, every affliction, every moment. It doesn't mean it's going to look the way that we expect it to look. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden that which is seen becomes glorious and sparkly and shining and everything is good in it. But it absolutely means that in the middle of any circumstance that we're walking through that we realize we are not alone. That we are not to depend on our own ability, our own understanding, our own strength. But to understand that there is a greater reality that is unseen but is available to each one of us. When we look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, I find it very interesting to see the wording that Paul uses for seen and unseen. The word seen is the Greek word blepo, which I joked about in the first service. Sounds like a kid's cartoon character more than it does a Greek word. But blepo means to look, to see, to perceive, and to discern. To discern. But I want us to realize that there is more to this word than meets the eye. It's not just the ability to see something, to see a situation, to see a reality. What this word means in context is that we see something, but in it we perceive and we pull from it an understanding of an internal reality. It means to perceive or to become aware of a spiritual or a non-physical component in a natural situation. So I want to give you an example of this. If I'm to walk outside my house in the morning and to look outside and to see dark gray clouds, I am much more likely to perceive, based off of what I see, that I need to dress appropriately for what might be coming. So I'm much more likely to go inside and get a rain jacket or an umbrella. Because I see something, and from the reality that I see, I'm making an internal decision based off of it. If I go outside and I see, you know, sun shining, and and it looks like it's a beautiful day, I'm much more likely to grab a pair of sunglasses. But is this the best way to understand what is coming later on that day? It's not. It might be the right thing, but it may not be. You see, if we were to look at life based off of the things that we see in the moment and try to make an eternal decision based off of a limited and momentary view, it's very likely that we are going to be very unprepared for what we're actually walking into. A couple years ago, maybe not quite that long, I was going out with some friends to Kingston. We were going to a shooting range, and I decided to take my motorcycle. So I walked outside the house, looked sunny enough, wasn't too cold, jumped on the motorcycle, went to Kingston, went to the range, went to a restaurant, all was beautiful, until I got back on the motorcycle and I looked towards the Kingston-Rhinecliff Bridge, and all I saw was imminent disaster. Dark clouds, the rumble of thunder, and I knew that this ride home was not going to be as enjoyable as I thought that it would be. I thought maybe if I rode a little faster, sorry baby, that I would be able to beat it. (laughs) But what what ended up happening was that the next 40 miles on the Taconic State Parkway were some of the most miserable moments that I've ever had on any form of transportation. Cold, wet, couldn't feel my legs, could barely feel my hands. It was like this is this is terrible. I had looked at a temporary reality And I had made a decision about what the future was going to look like based off of the information I had at that moment. And I paid the price for it. How many times do we make decisions based off of what is seen and we project it into what is to come only to find out that we were wrong? What we need to do is find a source of information that is not based off the present reality but an indication of a future truth. Now, the weather forecast is not always going to be very accurate in this, but I can assure you that the word and the truth of what God has spoken absolutely is. We have to learn that when we're making decisions with eternal implications, we cannot rely on what is visible and temporary. And that's regardless of how that reality may look and feel in the moment. I just want to stop at that word feel for a moment. How often do we make decisions based off of how we feel in the midst of the situation that we're looking at? It's not just about what it looks like because that's more logic. It's about what it feels like. What's the emotion associated with what's standing in front of us? What have we experienced in our past that connects to what we're feeling in the present that is causing us to make a decision for the future that may be based out of a place of brokenness instead of the truth that God has spoken? See, our past can be a good teacher. We don't want to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. But if we are operating out of a place of pain from our past and shame from our past and a place that we haven't walked in healing, well, then what's going to come out of the past in our present and in our future is going to be more of the same. Because we're once again, we're taking what is seen, the reality that we can observe, and we're forecasting it. We're allowing the facade of fear. We're allowing what is being presented to be the determining factor in our lives. We need to look at a reality that is based in truth. When our reality is based in truth, then our perception is based out of a place of solid footing, a foundation that is not of this world. But when we don't, what we are subject to is fear. Fear and the byproduct of fear. fear. And this is often where we find ourselves. We're hoping for the promise of God, the eternal weight of glory, while often we're keeping our eyes fixed on the present and the reality that is seen. And when we think about it this way, it probably becomes easier to realize why sometimes we feel so conflicted. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't be aware of what's going on and what we can see. But it is to say that we need to be much more aware of what is taking place in the realm that is unseen. It's not to say that we should ignore problems in the present. It is to say that our solutions need to be eternally kingdom-based instead of limited in our own ability and understanding. But very often we find ourselves making decisions out of emotions instead of truth. And this is how the enemy continues to use fear in our lives. It's the distraction from the goodness of God which leads us to trust in our own wisdom and our own ability. It's the thing that pulls us away from walking in the grace that God has for us. We have to be aware of the places in our lives where we have negotiated with fear while still allowing it to have a voice and our thinking and our understanding. Where we have determined in our heart that we are going to trust in God, yet our actions continue to line up with a place of self-reliance, self-understanding, and anything else that does not come from the word and the truth that God has spoken. I do think too often we continue to walk in this manufactured place of grace that has its source in who we are instead of who God is. Because as long as we are reliant on the external reality that we see with our eyes, as long as that is the thing that dictates what we believe in our hearts, we are going to continually return to self-reliance and this conflicted reality. And it's here that we have to start to look at the example that Jesus has given us because Jesus had no conflicted reality. Jesus was very certain of who he was on who he was following and what he was looking at. John chapter 5 verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus, the Son of God, with no limitation, chose not to look at what was seen and temporary to make his decisions, even though he could have fixed all of it. Jesus, the Son of God, chose to look to the Father and what was eternal and what was unseen on earth, and it was out of that place that he made his decisions and he walked in obedience. He wasn't looking within, he was looking to the Father. And this is Jesus who had every ability to do exactly that. How much more for each one of us do we have to become so much more aware of what the Father is saying and doing in the midst of the circumstances that we might be going through? You see, Jesus was not concerned or conflicted about what others would think. He didn't care about what the religious leaders and what they would say. He didn't care about the opinions of others, all the things that were going on in the seen realm. He didn't care about what the Roman government would do to him. There there wasn't any element of Jesus that took his cues from what was seen and temporary. There was only one voice that matters. And so for us, the question is, how do we live out of this true reality in our own life? How do we follow the example of Christ to rely on what is unseen, what God is showing us, instead of the facade of fear? When we continue to look at this verse, verse 18, I said it was a little bit interesting how Paul defines these words seen and unseen. Because if we look at it in the Greek, what we find is that seen and unseen are actually the same word. It's just that Paul puts the word not in front of seen and it becomes unseen. But seen is actually the same word, meaning that the basic premise of the word remains the same. So it's to pull a reality from what you are looking at. The difference is, instead of viewing the natural reality, what is seen, and pulling our understanding from that, we now turn our focus and attention to the unseen, what God is doing, and we allow that truth To then dictate what we're looking at in the natural. It's kind of the same principle, it's just flipped on its head. It goes from the earthly kingdom to the heavenly kingdom. We don't allow what is seen to dictate what we believe on the inside. We believe what we, we, we see that what we believe on the inside now dictates our reality on the outside. This is what we are called to do, and this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where are we living when all we see is the temporary and the seen reality? Where are we existing in that moment? Because this verse says that, well, we have died. We've died to the old reality and the old way of looking things at things. And now we live. And where do we live? Your life is is hidden with Christ in God. Which means that our perception to look at what is unseen is no longer based out of the old reality, but it is now solely based on the new reality of who we are in Christ. If we were to try to only look at the unseen through our logical minds and understanding, we would be trying to take what is heavenly and bring it down once again and make sense to us here on earth. We can't do that. But if we were to understand that our new reality is in Christ, that it is through Him, that it is through His death and His resurrection, that now we have a new reality, we begin to see the unseen through the eyes of the Spirit instead of the eyes of the flesh. Which means that any situation that we look at through the eyes of the flesh are going to yield fleshy results. But any situation that we choose to look at through the eyes of the Spirit now produce a different reality than what would have been possible in our own strength and ability.